I want to begin by expressing just in <clears throat> a few brief words how incredibly thankful we are for the Mount Juliet congregation, for the family of God that meets here. Uh, we first visited with you, and I introduced you to the Cusco work about 20 months ago in March of 2014. And ever since then, we've counted Mount Juliet as one of our biggest supporters and really partners in the work there in Cusco. So I just wanted to let you know that as a congregation and as some individually, your generosity and your support and your prayers are really going a long way to bringing people to Christ and to a better relationship with God there in Cusco, Peru. Although I've introduced you to Cusco before, it's been quite a long time. And I want to give you a brief introduction tonight of exactly what happened uh, for God to orchestrate a team moving to Cusco, Peru over five years ago to plant a congregation there. And then I want to tell you three ways specifically that God has blessed the church in Cusco, Peru with growth during this year of 2015. So we're going to go ahead and get started tonight with a brief introduction to what's going on in Cusco, Peru. <clears throat> Cusco is located in the Andes Mountains of Western South America, and we're sitting at an elevation of nearly 12,000 feet, so about twice the height of Denver, Colorado, which makes it very difficult not only to speak in another language of Spanish, but to breathe on a daily basis there in Cusco. The city happens to be developing very rapidly because so many people from the surrounding mountain regions are moving into the city of Cusco in search of better job opportunities and better uh, family li or lives for their family members there. And in 2009, a team of Fried Hardeman University graduates moved to Cusco, Peru with the goal of planting and establishing a congregation of the Lord's Church there. You've got a picture right here of the original mission team who had the very first worship service of the IU congregation in Cusco on October 24th of 2010. Right here, the original family members, you have Barton and Allison Kaiser on the left. At the time, their son Cole was just a few months old. You have Matt and Sharla Cook there in the middle with their daughter, who was very young at the time, Gabriella. And then on the right, you have Gary and Jennifer Reeves with their two sons, Logan and Brody. And even though just a few years ago, only a two and a half years into the work, Matt and Sharla were faced with a trial. Their daughter, Gabriella, had a medical condition that forced Matt and Sharla and their family to return to the States on a permanent basis. Gabby's doing a lot better now, and Matt and Sharla are living in Henderson, Tennessee, where he's working with the university in the missions department of the Bible department at Freed Hardeman. But it's still so evident every single day to Sarah and to me and to the members of the church just how much of an impact they had in their two and a half years there in Cusco. The original team members, they had a variety of reasons that, they, uh, that went into the decision of selecting Cusco as their point to establish a church. But among those, Cusco is considered to be the cultural center of the entire Andean mountain region of western South America. It's a city that although the population in the last 20 years has tripled to almost 500,000 people, there are still fewer than 300 New Testament Christians in Cusco today, which means that it is one of the least evangelized areas of the entire world by members of the Lord's Church. With a population of over one and a half million in the surrounding region of Cusco, establishing a solid, self-sustaining, self-leading congregation in Cusco means opening doors in the future in the surrounding region to a booming population that's just searching and longing for meaningful religion in that area. Strategy and planning are key to any long-term endeavor, and the work in Cusco is no different. On a daily basis, we have these five goals as a mission team that guide the things that we do as missionaries, every aspect of the work there. 
the very first thing that we focus on is we target middle class heads of households in Cusco. That means that we're trying to bring entire family units to Cusco because we know bringing entire families to the church will provide a solid foundation for the church to grow on in the future. Number two there, we want to establish a congregation of between 300 and 500 members because we know that'll be a powerful force for the Peruvian members in the future to plant other congregations in the area. Third, and what I believe to be the most important thing that we focus on on a daily basis and what we'll talk about quite a bit together this evening is that we as a mission team have as our number one goal replacing ourselves. Peruvian leadership training is interwoven into every aspect of the work, down to the smallest things that we do on a daily basis. Number four, within the next couple of years, we'll be focusing as a team and as a congregation on a, a project that's specifically important in a Latin American context, and that's securing a permanent church facility for our members to call home and for us to use as a base to be able to plant other congregations in the surrounding area for generations to come. And finally, our fifth overarching goal is we as a mission team want to empower and to aid the Peruvian members to plant at least one additional congregation somewhere in the city or the surrounding region before the entire mission team returns to the United States. And so throughout our presentation this evening, I want to tell you a few of the ways that we're already well on the way to accomplishing these five goals. This is a picture of our current team at a planning retreat that we had just a few weeks ago where we planned out the entire 2016 calendar year. You still see the Kaiser family there in the middle. Cole is now six years old and the Kaisers now have twin two-year-olds, Eli and Cece. On the right, you still have the Reeves family. Logan just turned nine and Brody there is six years old as well. On the left, the girl in the shades is our teammate Corinne Phineas, who's been spearheading our women's ministries for the last two and a half years. Sarah and I are in the middle there as well. And then we just welcomed last month a new family to the team, Kevin and Kelly Westmoreland and their baby daughter who's just turned 11 months old. Her name is Eleanor. So you can see that we've got a team full of young children. And uh, Sarah and I are uncle and aunt Ryan and Sarah to each one of them on the team. Sarah and I specifically, we arrived in Cusco in September of 2014, and we have absolutely loved getting involved in every aspect of the work since that time. We're still getting, uh, getting to the point of perfecting our Spanish language, and we're still adapting to the work there, but Sarah and I have already become involved in every level and every aspect of the work there in Cusco. Specifically on the team, my focus I lead in our Peruvian worship services, and I train Peruvian men to lead in those worship services. I work with our ministry of Bible study groups. I help to disciple the young men of the church, and I help to coordinate our Logos Bible School program. Sarah, on a weekly basis, spends the majority of her time studying the Bible one-on-one -on -one with women in the church and with women that come in from the community. But she also spends her time, as you can see in this picture, discipling and training the young women in the church. She's the leader of our team's marketing focus group that we use in our marketing campaigns in the city. She also works side-by-side -side with our teammate Barton and me as we creatively design the worship services and the sermon series that we have throughout the year. Sarah and I also uh, work together with our teammate Corinne to help lead with the young adults and the youth programs there in Cusco. And in the future, we'll be focusing more of our time, me specifically, in transitioning into a role of preaching for the, for the church there on a weekly basis. And Sarah and I will also be transitioning into being able to teach adult Bible classes in that Logos Bible School on a weekly basis. Since we have a limited amount of time together this evening, 
I want to share with you specifically three ways in which God has just blessed the church in Cusco over the year of 2015. And then we're going to close with just a quick rundown of some statistics and some figures that I think really will paint the picture of exactly the things that God is doing there through his church in Cusco. And we'll give you some insights into the future plans and goals that we have in the church. I do have a request to make of each one of you as we begin tonight that you either take out a piece of paper, open up a, a note on an app on your phone, because I'm going to ask you to write down three specific prayer requests this evening. So if you would get out that piece of paper, and after every major part of our presentation this evening, I'm going to ask you to pray for a specific aspect of the work in Cusco. Uh, every time someone asks me, what can I pray for? They're wanting specifics. So we'd like to give you some specific things that you can join us in praying for starting this week. 2015 was an incredible year of growth for the church. And yes, God blessed our congregation this year with an increase in the average attendance that we have at worship services, but what he did in 2015 was, I think, something far more incredible that will no doubt set the course of the future for the Church of Christ in Cusco. In one of his books called Transforming Discipleship, the author Greg Ogden wrote this. He said, the effectiveness of one's ministry is to be measured by how well it flourishes after one's departure. And in 2015, God began to work in the church to raise up men to lead in the church in Peru for when the missionaries are no longer working there on site. And specifically, over the last four years, God has been molding the hearts of two of our young men in the congregation, and I want to share their stories briefly with you now. <clears throat> Percy Avalos was 19 years old. He had recently moved away from his hometown of Curuasi into the big city of Cusco, Peru. He was lost. He was confused. He had no family nearby, and he was looking for something all the time that he had seemingly left behind in his life in his small hometown. And then one day, Percy was walking along, and he got robbed. He was completely cleaned out. And so in his desperation, one afternoon, he was walking down the sidewalk of the main avenue in town, <clears throat> and he happened to look up at the exact right moment to see the sign for the Church of Christ at our first church building location. And although it may have seemed a little bit impulsive at the time, Percy courageously walked into the front door of the church building and came into contact with my teammate Gary Reeves, who on that day began taking Percy and leading him on a four-year-long journey towards full-time dedicated service in the Lord's kingdom. Fast forward to today, and Percy is one of the strongest leaders that we have in the church. Before Sarah and I came back for our visit to the States just a few weeks ago, we were sitting in on his uh, Minor Prophets Bible course that he teaches on Sunday mornings. And in his class on Jonah, he was so well prepared that I'm sure he could have used that same material to teach a college-level Bible course here in the States. Percy loves music. He's one of the best Peruvian song leaders that we have. And he, wanted, uh, he also started our very first prayer ministry at the congregation just a few months ago. And he made a special request of me. He asked me to let all the ladies in the audience know that he is still very, very single. <laughs> Percy wanted to say hello and to give you a, a quick thank you for the, the support that you all give us there in Cusco. So we'll go ahead and, and show that first video. Hola, muy buenas. Me llamo Percy Avalos Rojas y soy de Perú y estoy trabajando con la congregación Iglesia de Cristo, Congregación Ayu, acá en Perú. 
y tengo uh, mis planes al futuro es ir a estudiar a Baxter en Honduras y me emociona ese, esa historia de ir y estudiar la Biblia allá y aprender más de la Palabra de Dios. Mis padres son cristianos y siempre he tenido esta visión. Y también gracias por las personas ¿no? que apoyan a esta congregación, que dan un sustento económico. Y gracias a esos sustentos económicos nosotros trabajamos acá en Perú con la congregación, con las personas llevando el Evangelio hacia las personas. Y todo eso es gracias a ustedes. Y gracias por todo. Chao. Bye bye. Like Percy, Elvis Chacon was also lost. He had no sense of direction, no purpose in his life. He had no stability. And although some of the members of his family worshipped with the Wanchok congregation in another part of town and had been members there for years, Elvis was a 21-year-old at the time who really didn't give a lot of thought beyond next weekend's party or next month's girlfriend. So whenever the, the team members of our, our Cusco team arrived in Cusco in October of 2009, One of, per, or one of Elvis's relatives, who's a leader of the church at Wanchuk, his name happens to be Socrates, ironically. Socrates approached our team members about getting in touch with Elvis. Maybe he needed a fresh start, a place to form his own faith, a place to get away from the congregation where his parents and his brother had never made the decision to become Christians. So our team members reached out to Elvis, and we didn't know it at the time, but slowly and surely God was working on Elvis's heart. And fast forward today, and Elvis is the most dynamic preacher that we have in the congregation there in Peru. He's constantly serving in almost every ministry of the church, steps up whenever you need him. And recently, Elvis married his sweetheart of the last seven years, Yolanda. So I want to give you a quick hello from the newlyweds, Elvis and Yolanda Chacon. Hola, hermanos, ¿cómo están? Mi nombre es Elvis Chacon y es mi esposa Yolanda. Y muy feliz de hablar con ustedes por este video y decirles que gracias a Dios por la bendición del Señor nos estamos yendo a Baxter ahora en enero y volvemos después de cuatro años para poder brindar todo el conocimiento que adquiramos del Señor a nuestros hermanos aquí en Cusco y hacer que el cuerpo de Cristo sea cada vez mucho, mucho más grande. Nos vemos hermanos. Yolanda wanted nothing to do with being on camera, and so we finally dragged her into the room and we sat her down, but she pulled up three stacked high chairs, so she looks about twice as tall as Elvis in the video. <laughs> It really was a long and arduous road, discipling and training Elvis and Percy over the last four years. But along the way, we could see signs. We could see those flashes of the potential that Elvis and Percy had to be future leaders in the congregation things that God had been working on all along. And although our team has been working with Elvis and Percy for over four years now, it wasn't until earlier this year that as a team, we formalized a three-phase leadership training program that we call the Leadership Pathway. Every week, Barton and I, my teammate, we meet with Elvis and Percy on Monday mornings to, uh, to disciple them, to teach them how to work in ministry, to teach them how to study the Bible, but most importantly, to teach them how to train others in the church. In January, Elvis and Percy will be starting their next chapter of their lives, going off to a Latin American Bible Institute in Honduras, where they'll spend the next four years studying theology, ministry, Hebrew, Greek, even English. And the plan then is for, after those four years, 
Elvis and Percy to return and to become the first full-time ministers on staff of the Church of Christ there in Cusco. And the whole reason behind the leadership training or the discipleship ministries of the church in Cusco is simple. For our specific mission team, for our specific context in Cusco, Peru, our ultimate job as a mission team is not to teach. Our ultimate job is not to preach or to evangelize, all creating this environment where the Peruvians are dependent upon us as missionaries for their spiritual survival. Our job as a mission team is 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. Paul talking to Timothy here. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So our job is to train others to lead in the church, to train others to preach, to teach, to evangelize, and most importantly, to train others to be able to train others in the church, to create a self-perpetuating cycle of disciple-making. And in 2015, we saw God begin to make that pathway clearer for us in a very big way. If you think about it, though, we also, as a church, need strong women leading in women's and children's ministries in the Church of Christ. And recently, God brought to us three young women who have incredible potential and who have also accepted the call to join what we have as our women's leadership pathway, working under the guidance of my wife, Sarah, and our teammate, Corinne Phineas. And I want to introduce to you the girls on the leadership pathway now. From day one of her walk with Christ, Sharit Zapata, that you see on the slide behind me, she's been one of the very brightest lights in the entire congregation in Cusco. She's currently a psychology student at a local university, but after becoming a Christian, she was one of these people that began immediately to ask for more and more opportunities to learn, more and more chances to be involved and to lead. She began showing signs of leadership among our young adult women in the congregation. And so she has accepted the call to join the women's leadership pathway. Sharita is one of those girls that's a very deep thinker and she's very gifted in leading women's Bible study groups and in leading one-on-one -on -one Bible studies with the women in the church and in the community. Couple, or that very same time, her friend Carmen Becerra also accepted the call to join the women's leadership pathway. Carmen was identified and, and asked to join because of her voluntary leadership again among that young adult group but also because she's got this incredible ability to connect with the children in our children's ministry. Carmen is currently pursuing her degree in nursing at a local university, but she's expressed desire to use that career in service in the church. This is a photo of Carmen. That's a photo of Carmen. Uh, working with some of the children in an activity after our Bible skit at the VBS campaign that uh, Amelia Smith from the Mount Juliet Church went on with us this last summer. That's a picture of her just taking charge and working with the children in that campaign. A couple of months later, Carmen's cousin, Adriana, also was invited to join the leadership pathway. And Adriana, as you can see from the picture here, is very interested in getting out and beating the streets and serving the people of the community. She's very interested in the service and the benevolence ministries of the church. So now all these girls, these three very best of friends, are all entering into the second phase of that women's leadership pathway where they meet on a bi-weekly basis with Sarah and our teammate Corinne for times of devotionals, for times of spiritual formation, and to be able to know how to disciple and to teach others the gospel. Here's a quick hello from the girls on the leadership pathway. Hi! Hola, somos las chicas en Camino al Liderazgo. Mi nombre es Adriana, tengo 20 años. 
y a mí me gustan mucho los ministerios de servicio y de benevolencia, ya que gracias a las campañas que ustedes, con las que ustedes nos ayudan, podemos ayudar a muchas personas que nos necesitan y así podemos hacer que se unan más a la iglesia. Y me, me gusta mucho trabajar en la iglesia porque me siento muy feliz al trabajar para Dios. Soy Carmen y tengo 19 años. Me gusta el Ministerio de Brilla, que es de los niños, y el Ministerio Casa, que son las células. Uh, me gusta mucho el, las células porque ya ahí podemos aprender más cosas sobre Dios, incluso compartir nuestras ideas entre nosotros. Y me gusta también en lo que es el Ministerio de Niños porque... Porque es hermoso ver a los niños crecer sabiendo sobre la palabra y algunas cosas sobre Dios. Hola, mi nombre es Sharif, tengo 19 años. El ministerio que más me gusta es el de evangelización, ya que gracias a este ministerio muchas personas se han podido bautizar e incluso podemos conocerlo un poco más. Um, yo quiero trabajar para la iglesia porque quiero poner todas las habilidades que yo tengo, las cualidades a disposición de Dios porque sé que con Él todo va a estar bien y queremos darles gracias por todo el apoyo que nos han dado. Eh, también gracias a ese apoyo hemos podido hacer grandes campañas que han atraído bastantes personas. Thanks for helping us. God bless you. We had to do that last take about a hundred times before they had one they liked. <laughs> there we go. If it hadn't been enough that God blessed our congregation this past year with three young women and two young men that joined that leadership pathway, we can already see God at work in the hearts of four more young men who have already become very integrated and very important in leading in the congregation there in Cusco. So if you happen to be following along and writing down those prayer requests with me this evening, please add to that list the young leaders of the Church of Christ in Cusco. For the second aspect of the work that I want to share with you tonight, I have a, a question that I don't expect us to be able to answer. How in the world does a brand new congregation grow? We get the call from Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but where do we find the people to teach? When we first as a mission team planted the IU congregation over five years ago, necessity at first is what drove our mission team to go out and bring people into the church the hard way, pretty much making from scratch one-on-one -on -one Bible studies. But as the church began to grow, our team of missionaries could not continue to be the only driving force behind evangelism in the congregation. And a theme that you will continue to hear throughout our time together this evening is that our number one goal as missionaries is to train others to lead and to train others to train others. Because Christ in that great commission, he doesn't call us just to go out and baptize. He calls us to go out and to truly make disciples. Our congregation there has already grown to the point where on a typical Sunday morning, we're having a difficult time fitting everybody in the, in the auditorium of the church that we meet in. This is a picture of our fifth anniversary Friends and Family Day service just a few weeks ago. We had to have it outside in a local park under a tent. We've grown to the point in the congregation where the missionaries cannot continue to be the only driving force behind our evangelism. As I said, we're having trouble on any given Sunday to fit everybody in the auditorium on a regular basis. And our team's goal from the very start 
was never to have this missionary-centric concept of evangelism, where the only evangelists in the church were the members of the mission team. We knew from the very start that the only way to have lasting growth in the church was to create a culture of relationship evangelism, or member-driven evangelism. Not only would there eventually be too much work for the mission team alone to handle, but as a team, we eventually have an exit strategy years down the line where we're going to leave behind a self-sustaining, self-leading congregation. And if we were to allow the church members there to grow dependent upon us as missionaries to grow the church, to be the only members driving evangelism, the church there will never ultimately survive. So one of the most exciting and promising transitions that we've experienced during the year of 2015 has been this shift from evangelism focused around the missionaries to evangelism focused around the members. Our members getting out there and really teaching their friends and their family members. So I want to share with you briefly three examples of exactly what I'm talking about and what I believe is exactly the way that God wants to see his church grow. Every year in March, our team hosts a medical mission campaign. And we conduct a free clinic in an area of the city that really needs our help. And in 2014, the lady you see on the screen here, Anna Isabel, came to the medical clinic seeking medical attention, but she didn't expect it, but she left with a whole lot more. After visiting the clinic, Anna Isabel, who we affectionately call by her nickname, Anna Is, she came back in contact with the mission team and began studying with one of our missionaries. And it wasn't long before Anna Is made the decision to become a child of God. Soon, Anna East began studying at home with her husband, Oscar, and bringing him to church along with her. And before long, Oscar also made the decision to put on Christ in baptism. Earlier this year, after several weeks of Anna East studying with her niece, Sharit, and bringing her to church, Sharit also made the decision to be baptized. And you may recognize Sharit from our video of the girls on the leadership pathway just a few minutes ago. Later that very same month, after weeks of study with both Anais and Sharit, Anais's sister Patty, Sharit's mother, also came to Christ and put on Christ in baptism there. A few months later, Sarah and I get a phone call from our teammate Gary to come down to the church building really quickly because Anais's father, whose name is Enrique, at 90 years old, had made the decision to become a child of God. And I can remember on that day, we slowly led him down into the waters of our makeshift baptistry. And I can remember seeing the weight of 90 years of life without God just being washed away in that water. And what's wonderful is we don't know how much more God is going to do through this incredible family of evangelists. Because Anais's sister, her third sister, and Sharit's uh, boyfriend, Hendrik, are already starting to take interest in the drastic changes that they're seeing in the lives of their friends and family members, and they're wanting to know more about it. Another one of our stories starts around that same time period, the 2014 medical mission campaign. The lady that you see here, Teresa Becerra, who we affectionately call by her nickname, Techi, she's one of these ladies that's got a fiery but a very sincere personality. And she's someone who, just like Anna East, once she made the decision to become a child of God, she never once has looked back. Not too long after she came to Christ and became a member of the church there in Cusco, she began studying at home with her daughter, Adriana, who made the decision to become a Christian. And you may also recognize Adriana as the second girl from our leadership pathway just a few minutes ago. Techi now works as our church receptionist, but she spends most of her time every day doing one-on-one -on -one Bible studies with women in the church and in the community. 
Fast forward a little while and Techi and Adriana have been studying at home with Adriana's boyfriend, Scotty, and Scotty made the decision to become a Christian. Adriana also began inviting her cousin Carmen to come to the weekly young adult Bible study group. And Carmen also came to the church and was baptized. And you may recognize that she also accepted the invitation to join the Women's Leadership Pathway there in Cusco. Well, before long, after Carmen's faith was just taking off, her mother and her grandmother, both named Lucrecia, they began to take notice of the drastic change that they were seeing in Carmen's life on a daily basis, and they wanted to know more about it. And after weeks of study, both Lucrecia and the grandmother, Lucrecia, both on a single afternoon came to Christ. And the wonderful thing about Lucrecia and Lucrecia is that every Sunday evening since their baptism, they've walked in the front doors of the church, often arm in arm, and they sit down on the second row from the front, and they sing with everything they've got, even if it's a half pitch off and a few notes behind. <laughs> Continuing on with our story, though, Lucrecia, the younger, uh, Carmen's mother, Techi's sister, she works in the home of a young professional couple named Julio and Joanna and their two sons. After several weeks of study, Carmen and our teammate Gary holding those Bible studies in the home of Julio and Joanna, Julio made the decision to become a child of God as well. But the story doesn't stop there, because Julio's cousin, Cecilia, began to take notice of the changes she was seeing in her cousin Julio's life. He started bringing her to church, and Sarah began forming a relationship with Cecilia on a weekly basis. And as of now, they've completed four of the initial six studies that we have in our Bible study series. And so we're hoping that any day now we get a Facebook message from the team that Cecilia has made the decision to put on Christ in baptism. We also pray that God continues to work. As you can see, the entire family from start to finish. We hope he continues to work through this family because Julio and Joanna are an incredible couple who no doubt will prove to be valuable future leaders in the congregation. The third and final story that I want to tell you about in this portion of our presentation really outlines exactly how relationship evangelism is becoming a part of the DNA of the Church of Christ there in Cusco. It's a story of how God took one man, broken, struggling in a failing marriage with a major surgery on his horizon, and he completely changed his life and the lives of his family members forever. A few months ago, Percy McGon, that you see in the picture here, and his wife Consuelo and their four boys moved from the capital city of Lima to Cusco for work. And Percy was a man, <clears throat> he was facing all of these problems in his life, the marriage, the major surgery, all of these things. So in his desperation, he began to search. And he came across one of our church advertisements in the weekly newspaper. And he came into the church building one afternoon to see if he could get some help. He came face to face with one of the missionaries on the team. And after I'm sure uh, were some of the most in-depth and academic Bible studies that our team has ever been a part of, Percy also made the decision to put on Christ in baptism. And not too long after that, his two older sons, Japhet on the left and Jarel on the right, also became Christians. And this family is an incredible family because I've never seen another group of people who have such an insatiable desire to study and to learn more and to take charge and take opportunities to lead in the congregation. Just a few weeks before Sarah and I returned to the States for this furlough visit, <clears throat> we got word again from our team members that there was another baptism that we were going to have at the church building. And Jafet and Jarel's younger brother, Joshua, at 12 years old, had made the decision to become a Christian. And the incredible thing about the story of Joshua 
is that he never once has studied with a missionary on our team. His older brothers brought him to Christ. And that for us as a mission team is a true victory. It's Jafet there giving his brother a welcome into the family of Christ. And the same thing is happening throughout our congregation. The people closest to these individuals could see the change in their lives. They could see the joy that was unmistakable, that wasn't there before. And they began to take interest. And we as a mission team, we can organize these incredibly elaborate medical mission campaigns. And yes, those help. The 2014 medical campaign was the beginning of two of these three stories that we've just discussed. And we as a team, we can plan citywide marketing campaigns. We even had an eight questions campaign based off the 12 questions campaign in Cusco this last year. We can have citywide marketing campaigns and we can advertise on Facebook, on billboards, TV, radio, whatever the case. But in the long run, the only effective way to continually bring people to Christ is to foster this environment of relationship, member-focused evangelism in the church in Cusco. So if you're writing them down, please add to your prayer list the second of our three prayer requests tonight, that God continues to foster this culture of evangelism among the members of the church in Cusco. As you're writing that down, there was a story recently my teammate Gary and I were talking about the shift that we're beginning to see in the congregation, that shift from the missionaries being the only evangelists to our members taking charge. And Gary focuses most of his time in one-on-one -on -one personal evangelism and studying the Bible with people. And, and for him, 2015 was the year that he actually spent the least amount of time of any other year before studying the Bible one-on-one -on -one with people. But during 2015, we've had a record number of baptisms in the church, and it's because our church members are hard at work too, speaking to their family and friends. And hopefully those people speaking their family and their friends, and so on and so on. So please continue to pray for that culture of evangelism in the church there in Cusco. And for the third and final aspect of the work that I want to share with you tonight, I want you to think with me for a moment about the times in life that can shake the very foundations of someone's life. Things like divorce, a devastating medical diagnosis, a family member in trouble, loss of a job. While these things are realities in our world, just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're immune to them as much as we would like it to be otherwise. And most of us know that in those times of despair and, and trial, the very pl best place that we could possibly be in the entire world is to be among our family of God, among our brothers and sisters in Christ, feeling the tangible presence of God's love through each other. But what about those people who aren't connected to the family of God? What about those people who face those same kinds of life-changing trials in their lives without being an integrated and connected member of the church family? We really, if we think about it, in those life-changing moments, we want to be among the members of our community of Christ here. But we really need a, more than just a passing hello and goodbye on a Sunday morning to form those kind of deep, tight-knitted connections among each other as brothers and sisters. The author... Mark Howell once wrote this. He said, unconnected people are one tough thing away from not being at your church. So how do we help these unconnected people take that next step to becoming integrated and interwoven and connected members of the family of God in the congregation? If each of us would think specifically about what really makes a church a family, it's those connections. It's that sense of community and fellowship that we feel among our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So we could ask ourselves, what truly creates a sense of community among the body of Christ? Some congregations experience community and fellowship through Bible class groups. Some have specific ministries like the seniors group or the youth group. But whatever the case may be, the common denominator in all of these is that you get groups of people regularly together walking hand in hand on the road to heaven, bearing one another's burdens, sharing their life struggles and their life's victories on the road to heaven together. And in the church in Cusco, we found that the very best way for us to connect the unconnected people, both in the church and in the community, is to get them involved as quickly as possible in our ministry of Bible study groups. This ministry that we have is called CASA, which is the Spanish word for house. And it's within this ministry that we really make those deep-seated connections and we integrate people from the fringes of the congregation into the fabric of the family of the congregation. And it's from these Bible study groups that we bring people into the worship services and also bring them into one-on-one Bible studies. Each weekly CASA group meeting includes a discussion-based Bible lesson, always a time of fellowship with coffee, tea, and refreshments, A lot of times the groups will have a period of worship and song, and always we end off the CASA group meetings by having a time of prayer where we can take the requests of those people in the group, and we can pray among each other for the specific trials that each person is facing. It's within this CASA ministry that our members develop that tight-knit family of Christ. And it's where this family of Christ can come together to support each other through life's struggles and life's victories. It's where the unconnected of the church become connected, and it's where those connections in a very real way draw people closer to each other and also closer to God. And I want to share with you briefly two examples of exactly what a healthy Bible study group looks like in CASA. First of all, one of the men whose family has begun a home Bible study group in their home in another part of the city is this man that you see on the slide behind me named Jorge. Jorge is is an incredible person, but he had almost at one point in time lost everything to alcoholism. His wife and his son left. He lost his job, and one time the story goes that he got so drunk that he passed out in a local park, and people that passed by him literally stole the shoes right off of his feet. But whenever Jorge made the decision to finally turn from God or to God from his alcoholism, His wife and son came back home. He started his own small business, and now he is the leader of one of the most successful CASA Bible study groups that the congregation has, with nearly 30 people that come and pack in his apartment on a weekly basis to learn about God. Jorge's group is one of those that not only ministers to each other within the group, but they minister to the church as a whole, and they minister to the community. After that Friends and Family Day on the fifth anniversary, we had the next week a visitor's banquet where nearly 70 were in attendance, and Jorge's group were the ones that fixed the entire lunch for them. Jorge's group is forming those tight-knit communities of Christ that's bringing people into the church in a very real way. I was also talking recently with my teammate Gary about how as a as a one-on-one evangelist, sometimes his students just don't show up to their Bible studies. It's a common thing that happens. Not everybody is willing to continue learning about Christ. So what he did is he took his agenda with those time slots and he erased the people who weren't showing up. He handed his schedule to Jorge and he told him, Jorge, fill up my Bible study schedule. And Jorge has been doing just that. 
from the incredible work that he's doing within his CASA Bible study group, Jorge and the members of his group are bringing people into the church to study with the missionaries and to study with other members of the church. And Jorge isn't this charismatic, outgoing, stereotypical evangelist. He's just opening his home to his family and his neighbors one night a week, and God is doing the rest. And finally, I really want to brag on our Jovenes Casa group, or our youth and young adult Casa group. Sarah and I work with them on a weekly basis, and we'll have anywhere between 15 and 20 that come to the Bible study every week. But what's so uh, incredible about this group is not only the Bible study group, but it's the tight-knit connections that they have that make them want to do so much together outside of those weekly meetings. We've taken them to orphanages to minister to the children. We've taken them on campouts. We celebrate birthdays together, which for any of you that know in Latin America, that often means getting cake shoved in your face. We also recently took them on an international youth retreat with people in attendance from four different South American countries. And out of that 100 youth at the retreat that weekend, our group was 25 of the 100 youth. Below the surface, that youth group contains all five, and young adults group contains all five of our leadership pathway participants and four more that will likely join that leadership pathway in the future. We ask the, co or we ask the leaders of every single CASA Bible study group to identify one or two other individuals in that group who they see to have the potential to start their own Bible study groups later. And we ask them to coach and to teach and to disciple those people. So in that way, in the CASA program, we have a self-perpetuating, self-replicating model to help not only the CASA ministry grow, but to help the church as a whole grow. And finally, I want to finish off by, the, just like it is here in the South, the, the way to any Peruvian parent's heart is no doubt through their children. And our Bria children's ministry, Bria being the Spanish word for shine. Yes, it's a way to teach children to love God, to love the Bible from a very young age, but it's also proven to be an effective tool to bring young families into the church. We have on a weekly basis activities for them, and we have a Bible class for them on Sunday mornings that our teammate Corinne has been heading up. But what's wonderful is recently, in the last few months, our teammate Allison began a Bible study group for the children and their mothers in her home. And this is a picture of the children in the Bible study group dressed up as sheep to reenact the parable of the lost sheep after our Friends and Family Day worship service just a few weeks ago. So the women, the mothers who are on the fringes of the church, unconnected before, are now becoming integrated and interwoven into the fabric and into the friendships of the congregation there in Cusco. So our third and final prayer request for you this evening is that you pray that God continues to bless the CASA Bible study group ministry and that he continues to help us connect the unconnected people there in the church. As we close out our time together this evening, I want to give you a quick rundown of some key statistics and numbers that really paints the picture of the incredible things that God is doing in the church in Cusco. The IU congregation was established on October 24th of 2010. Fast forward, and five years later, on our fifth anniversary, we had over 200 in attendance during the worship service. We have 106 people that are members of the church there in Cusco, 87 of which were baptized after coming in contact with our mission team or with the members of the church in Cusco. During January through October of this year, God has blessed the church there with 25 baptisms. And since I wrote down the figure on the slide, we've had two others that have come to Christ as well. 
In 2015, from January through October, we averaged 87 in attendance on Sundays. And that's a 25% increase from the exact same time period in 2014. We have five currently leading in the Leadership Pathway Program. We have 70 people in eight different CASA Bible study groups, led by 11 different guides who are being also trained to be future leaders in the church. We've been working as a mission team with Elvis and Percy for four years, and now they're about to spend four years going off to the Institute to be trained to come back and be the first evangelists with the congregation there in Cusco. During our medical campaign this past March, we had over 1,400 people that came through the clinic, several hundred of which we were able to study the Bible with. But the number that I want to leave every one of you with tonight is that we don't know in the future how many souls God will bring to Christ through his congregation there in Cusco, Peru. So tonight, please remember to include in your prayers, starting this week, the three specific things that I've asked you to join us in praying about. We believe God is doing some incredible things in the church in Cusco. So please continue to pray for Cusco. Continue to support Cusco. And if you have an interest in coming down to Cusco in person, we've got two opportunities for that during 2016. First of all, we have our medical campaign that we have every year, March 5th through 12th of this next year. And we still have very many slots left for that. We had 40 medical and non-medical professionals come down to serve, us, uh, serve alongside us this last year, and we had an incredible time and always have an incredible evangelistic turnout from that campaign. If the summer is something that would suit you better with your schedule, we also have our second annual community outreach campaign from July 23rd through the 30th of this next year. During this year's campaign, we're going to be doing an outreach project in the city where we're either going to be working with an orphanage or maybe a battered women's shelter. But then we'll have a second group of people that are going to be doing a Let's Start Talking program like Nick and Amy have done in, uh, in Belém. We're going to be doing that, bringing people into the congregation to study English using the Bible. Uh, we want to have one of our church members, not a missionary necessarily, being the translator to continue building relationships that will be ongoing well after the American campaigners return to the States. So if you have any interest in either of those campaigns, please come me, see me and Sarah after worship this evening. And if you would, give us your email address for anybody that would like it or give it to one of the uh, members of the mission committee here, and we'd be glad to start sending you our newsletters every couple of months. As we close out our time together this evening, I want to take us to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's renowned for being one of the world's most popular passages in all of the Bible. And we often think of the love chapter as a stately introduction to wedding ceremonies or maybe a place that we go whenever we're having relationship issues. But what if we looked at chapter 13 through a different set of lenses? What if we applied Paul's words in a context that we usually don't think about? What if we took his words and applied them to a context, a time in our lives when we need to show love more than any other aspect of our lives here? What if we applied 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to evangelism? I want to challenge each of you this week to take time to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, especially verses 1 through 8, and read them as if Paul were talking directly to you about the times in our lives whenever we're trying to take the message of Christ to other people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul goes on this beautiful poetic uh, description to his audience of the multifaceted, transcendent aspects of sacrificial love. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in the beginning part of verse 8, Paul notes that love will never end. 
Love burns bright even in the darkest times of life. Love conquers all else in this world and love will be manifested all the more whenever we reach heaven and we're spending eternity with God. But what we cannot do is evangelism. Love never ends, but evangelism will come to an end. On that beautiful day when we are finally brought into glory with God, we'll be singing praises to Him for all eternity with the angels in heaven. We'll be walking hand in hand with our brothers and sisters in Christ on the streets of gold, and we'll look up and we'll see Christ sitting on His throne at the right hand of God. But what we will not do, what we will never be able to do again, is to share the gift of salvation with those who are lost. Evangelism. Sharing the gospel is something that we can only do here in this world. We can't go back. You can't relive your life with more motivation, with more love. You can't go back and talk to the family member that you never connected with. You can't go back and talk and convince that favorite coworker or the classmate or your best friend. So right now, I beg you to use love to conquer your fears and your hesitations and let love Win over for Christ those who you care about the very most in this world. Maybe tonight you're here and you're one of our guests and it's your first or second experience ever with the Church of Christ. And if that happens to be the case, please know how incredibly welcome you are to be among the family of God here at Mount Juliet. Maybe something about the message tonight has convicted you, has touched you in a way that you want to know more about this gift of salvation that God extends to each one of us. If that's the case, I beg you not to leave tonight without sharing with someone else what's on your heart. Speak to somebody on the bench next to you. Speak to one of the leaders of the congregation outside in the lobby afterwards. But whatever you do, don't leave tonight without telling someone what's on your heart. And if you happen to be a Christian already and you've discovered that maybe you're not quite living out God's will for your life, tonight is the night that you can start over fresh again.